Welcome back to Bleacher Brawls. I'm Luke, here with John. It's a Just a Founding Fathers uh, edition of the Rivalry Spectacular, and it is a spectacular Rivalry Spectacular because the Red Sox uh, are trying to wrap up yet another weekend of Yankee dominance. Uh, as we speak right now, they are up 4-1, to one, uh, heading into the ninth inning. Well, there's actually two outs in the bottom of the eighth inning. The Red Sox are wearing the Yellow City Connect jerseys, which means they are virtually unbeatable. Um, so uh, we have a lot to talk about. We're gonna stick. We're gonna talk mostly uh, about uh, this second consecutive weekend series between the Red Sox and the Yankees, uh, continuing the. And uh, we're gonna have some. We're gonna talk a little bit about the state of uh, this, the greatest rivalry in professional sports amid talk that we've heard uh, from some people around social media, around the world of sports, uh, that maybe uh, this rivalry doesn't have the juice that it once had. And uh, we're also going to do a little throwback segment, uh, recall some uh, days past, um, and uh, maybe a little more uh, if we don't run long. I'm host, so you can rest assured we will run long. Uh, but uh, in that spirit, let's get started right away with our first pitch. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. I'm a father of two girls. John's a father of two girls and a... I don't think he's, I don't think Leo still counts as a newborn, but an infant boy. Um, so, uh, John, how's it going? How was your Father's Day? Well, Luke, um, besides the Yankees let, letting me down, all in all, it was a really good Father's Day. Oh, first off, you mentioned that I like it, the Founding Fathers of Bleacher Brawls, because if Founding Fathers makes me think the American Founding Fathers, which, you know, like, I put us on that comparison, and I put us on that level, and in that case, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson had a humongous rivalry, and since you're by default John Adams, because you're both mass holes, that makes me Thomas Jefferson, which I'm cool with, so um, the Founding Fathers reference, I like that. Um, as far as Father's Day, yeah, dude, it was a good Father's Day. Um, we're hopefully we'll get the hopefully we'll get this on YouTube. I don't know, but I got a WWE Championship belt cooler to hold my beer in. Um, and showing Luke right now, it's pretty. Wow, sweet. look at so that! It's about three cans in an ice pack. Um, <laughs> yeah, and you wear it, man. It's a, like a fanny pack, so you walk around like it's your championship belt. It, it's pretty cool. So what a cool I'm present! Walking around it... the championship belt, pulling out uh, cans of beer. It does look um, like it looks like the black uh, WWE Championship with the newish, I think the latest uh, logo on it. Uh, it's black. It's not blue or red, uh, but it's uh, it's cool. It's a, uh, it's like it looks like kind of like one of those throwback WWE belts that you could buy for like fifteen bucks when we were kids. Only it's a little bigger, a little more studded. Um, so that is that's a pretty cool Father's Day present. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty cool. Um, and then outside of that, yeah, we got we went out for some pizza and uh, took the kids to Dave and Buster's to play some video games, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, my one of my daughters, my older daughter, is just has incredible luck and just strikes jackpots on regular basis. So she got loaded up with a ton of tickets. And my younger daughter, uh, or my middle child, Luke's goddaughter, 
She you know, loves shooting games. She's like three years old, and I'm like, I don't think she should be playing this game, but she was loving it. Like Ghostbusters, like Halo, and just enjoying just shooting stuff. Um, and then also today told us that she can't wait to be eight because then she gets to use a knife. So uh, <laughs> what a Father's Day. Now I get to talk about the Yankees and the last place Red Sox. What kind of knife is she cleared to use once she reaches the age of eight? I, in her mind, apparently any knife. So she oh, got to use. We went to Grimaldi's Pizza, which they have franchises. It's like, it's a decent pizza place. Uh, the best pizza you're probably gonna get in San Antonio, arguably, arguably. Um, and they so they're franchised out in New York. They have pretty good pizza, like New York style pizza. And they give the kids dough to play with. Like, if you have young kids, they'll bring out, like, dough for them to knead and play with and whatever. So she got to use a butter knife to cut it. So she was just so excited. She's like, I get to use a knife? Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, we have, we have uh, the each of my girls have their own plastic knives. So when they want to make their own breakfast, they want to cut their own strawberries or whatever, uh, they can use those. They're serrated edges. They look badass to a little kid, but they're... You know, you it would be almost impossible for them to cut their fingers or anything uh, with those. Um, where's your? So you went yeah, to we Grimaldi's. We're in. We're both in the San Antonio, Texas area. Did you? Uh, my wife Kate was mentioning this earlier today. Have you been? Was it you that's been recommending a place named Big Lose? Well, yeah. I mean, yeah. So they're yeah they're kind of down by us by that. The two M barbecue, I think that was the one that Yen was talking about. That's yeah. that really like upscale barbecue you wait an hours in line for. There's so Big Loose is over there, and they're known for these gigantic pizzas. Like you can order humongous, like whatever, like sixty two inch pizzas. Like it's like you. They've been on Man versus Food. They've been on TV. So if you Google Big Loose, you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, their pizza, all in all, doesn't compare to what I'm used to growing up in like. Southern Connecticut, the Fairfield County, Connecticut, where our pizza's up to New Haven, where our pizza's on par with anything New York's got. Um, Big Lou's does not live up to that. They're not outstanding, though they have a brisket pizza, which they give you pickles to put on it. That one's pretty good. You're not going to really find that anywhere else. So when I go to Big Lou's, that's usually what I get. Um, but outside of that... I'm going to want to go there now just, just to try that because I've never had brisket pizza before. It's um, it's good. And uh, funny enough, Grimaldi's, all this, I, we should be getting money for, uh, we should be getting advertising fees for all this. Grimaldi's actually right now has a brisket pizza as their pizza, like special pizza, seasonal pizza, summer pizza. And I would recommend that over Big Lou's first because you can get Big Lou's brisket pizza whenever, uh, but the Grimaldi's brisket pizza is just like for a limited time and it was better than Big Lou's. Well, yeah, I don't know. It's better than Big Lou's, but Big Lou's, their brisket pizza is their best pizza. We'll have to see if either of those places has a uh, social media handle. So we'll have to, we'll have to send them the uh, link to this show. See if they're interested. And while in we're at it, Luke topic. and I were hanging out at Torchy's Tacos last night. Torchy's. This episode should be presented by Torchy's Tacos for how much money we spent there <laughs> drinking and watching the games. Torchy's. I would happily change the name of this to Torchy's Tacos presents Bleacher Brawls presents the rivalry show or anything. Any way to I, I would gladly put their name above the title uh, of the show. Uh, 
in order to gain, gain their sponsorship. Even if it didn't pay us anything other than just free Torchy's Tacos for life, like like Kramer got in Seinfeld when he got burned by the coffee, that's that's all I would that's all I would require, really. Really, um, it would be a better deal for me. <laughs> <laughs> the um, so my Father's Day was equally cool and special. My uh, my daughters, my um, my mother in law is in town visiting for the week, and my she uh, organized a, a scavenger hunt that my daughters help her put together. And so they left clues all over the house. The first clue led to the second clue, led to the third clue, and on and on and on, um, uh, until I finally, it finally led to me, led me to my special uh, Father's Day present, uh, which I, which I was uh, incredibly psyched to get. Uh, it was a really nice morning with the girls, and then we, I spent the later part of the morning floating down the Comal River. Uh, I live in Comal County, uh, <clears throat> in Texas. And uh, the Comal River has a couple different places where you can jump on. A couple different places where you can go. You can rent a raft, uh, sit in the raft, just float down the river with your friends. Um, uh, what we did, we actually, we, uh, uh, my friend Carly has a, a, a special floating cooler. So she just, we just kind of attached that uh, to her, to, well, I, was it? I don't know if it was attached to her or we took turns attaching it to our different uh, inner tubes. And so just, you know, just uh, paddle over, reach into the cooler, grab a grab a beverage, sit back. We were just sitting on the river in 102-degree weather just talking. Uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, <clears throat> really nice Father's Day. Uh, good time had by all. And uh, there, there are two. There are two outs in the ninth inning right now. Kenley Jansen is trying to nail down a sweep uh, of the Yankees uh, of this doubleheader, uh, which took place on Sunday, and of this three-game series, which took place this weekend. Um, so, uh, I am hoping, in very short order, we can give our takeaways for the entire series. And there's strike one to Anthony Volpe. But anyway. Uh, let's assume the game ends as it is right now. Oh, it's strike two. It's a one-two count on Volpe. Uh, let's talk about uh, some of the takeaways we've had uh, from watching this series this weekend. Uh, start with you, John. Um, being that coming off the Red Sox beating the Yankees two out of three in New York last weekend, and Kenley Jansen just blew away Anthony Volpe, the game is over. The Red Sox have swept this doubleheader. And they have swept the Yankees in Fenway Park, and they have won two consecutive. Ser- they have won two series from the Yankees in a matter of what nine days. Um, <clears throat> so, John, what are your takeaways from this latest series? Uh, what 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 are your the fir- what are the first thoughts that come to your mind when you think of the way the Yankees were tooled on by the Red Sox this weekend? The oh. Sorry, guys. A uh, little technical problem for a second there. Uh, look, uh, this is really bad for the Yankees to lose so many games to the last place Red Sox. Anytime you're getting beat up this badly by a last place team, you're in trouble. The Yankees lineup is going absolutely ice cold with the absence of Aaron Judge. Uh, we saw a couple flashes out of a few guys for a minute there, but it, all in all... Yankees lineup was ice cold against the last place team, and it's not what you want. It's not a good situation, and 
the fact that Aaron Judge might not be back until after the All-Star break, you're, you have to be worried. This lineup doesn't even look good. These weren't competitive at-bats. And you're going against a last-place team, and you can't get in competitive at-bats. You can't put up a couple runs. You just really go down without a fight. Um, yeah, it was just it was a bad week in all in all. So, I it's you know, it stinks that you're losing to the last-place Red Sox, and you're losing, you know, what, five out of six games. It's, it's terrible. But, you know, it, I... I the, fortunately, the Yankees are the better team, and that's why they're they haven't fallen behind the last place Red Sox, and the red, last place Red Sox are still in last place. But the Yankees, it doesn't look good, so they they might be competing for the cellar soon. Um, you just have to hope one or two of these bats come alive, because when you're losing series like this to last place teams back to back weekends, uh, <laughs> it's bad. So the Red Sox are in last place. They are officially the last place Red Sox. That is not a misnomer to say that. There are five teams in the American League East, and the other four have better records than they do. Um, however, uh, to give that context, uh, the Yankees are two games up on the Red Sox in the loss column, and the Blue Jays are one game up on the, the Red Sox in the loss column. Uh, after this weekend, uh, with the Yankees dropping three straight to the Red Sox and dropping five of six in the last week. Uh, so, I mean, they are the last place Red Sox, but it seems to me, now after watching these two se- these two series, that they seem to be pretty evenly matched teams. Um, you know, and look, Garrett Cole didn't pitch this weekend. Aaron Judge has been... Aaron Judge is out, but look, the Re- Trevor Story hasn't played all season for the Red Sox. Chris Sale is out now. Who knows if he's ever going to pitch in a Red Sox uniform again. Um, you know, Tanner Houck could only go four innings uh, Friday night. Um, you know, everyone's got their injuries, uh, and I, I think Aaron Boone, I think it was Aaron Boone even said himself, like, look, we can't keep using this Aaron Judge. We don't have Aaron Judge excuse. Nobody in this locker room is using that excuse. It's not... The players in this locker room are good enough to hit a lot better than they are. Yet they are not. They are not hitting. They are hitting like a like a third-rate team, like one of the worst offensive teams in the American League. So who are your, who are your main culprits that you... That, you know, that you're pointing the finger at first. Try to avoid the, you know, the usual suspects. Let's try and not mention Donaldson so much because uh, we all know how you feel about him. Let's not try and not mention Aaron Boone, the manager, so much because we all know how you feel about him. Try and dig a little deeper and at uh, some, of the, some of the real problems with this offense. First off, you always accuse me of not liking Aaron Boone. I don't. It's not that I dislike Aaron Boone. I'm just rather indifferent to Aaron Boone. Uh, look, yeah, and Donaldson, he had his week where we thought he was going to be all right, and he's gone. So, yeah, we'll stop talking about those guys and get to the main culprits. And the main culprits are the guys that are supposed to be the bats in this lineup, supposed to be the supporting cast. You have Giancarlo Stanton, who is just ice cold and normally rakes in Fenway. Like Giancarlo Stanton, just his swing is perfect for that 190 foot uh, deep green monster. And he, Giancarlo Stanton, 
usually rakes in Fenway. So I thought maybe this was a chance for him to bust out of his slump. He did not, which is worrisome because now it's like, how long is this going to last as they go up against Seattle this coming week? Um, Anthony Rizzo has was started off the season really good. And ever since he had that collision at first base where he hurt his neck, he has not been the same guy. Um, so I don't. It, maybe he's hurt or maybe just... I don't know what went wrong there, but Anthony Rizzo is another guy that's been ice cold. Glaber Torres is too young to be this ice cold, and it's just proving again and again that that 2019 season was more of an aberration. And then lastly, as much as I've defended DJ LeMayhew, uh, there's another guy that has not produced. And those are your four guys that are supposed to be like the surrounding cast around Aaron Judge. And without Aaron Judge... Those four guys should be able to carry the Yankees, and they have not carried the Yankees. So all in all, I'd have to say it's been a complete failure by those four guys. And as much as I'm fans of, you know, all four of them to an extent, um, different varying extents I'm a fan of, I should say, for each guy, uh, they've been utter failures this past, you know, two weeks. And it's very similar to what the, I mean, the Yankees have been, their offense has been choppy all year whenever Aaron Judge wasn't in the lineup. But it, it seems like the issues the Yankees are having right now are the same issues the Red Sox have been having for the past month, uh, really. You know, this series, they seem to turn get the bats going a little bit, but um, right before the Yankees got into town, they lost two out of three to the Rockies. Uh, you know, right after when taking two out of three in Yankee Stadium, uh, which we thought we were hoping was going to get a little momentum under their belts, then they lose two to a bad Rockies team. Um, but uh, what you can say about the Red Sox pitching is that it is, it's really shaping, it's really looking like it's turned around. Again, I said this on Thursday's Red Sox show, well, Friday's Red Sox show that is taped Thursday. The, the, They've looked great in the past few series. Those few series were against the Rockies and the Yankees. The Red Sox starting pitchers look looked really good. Uh, two series against the Yankees, one series against the Rockies. Neither offense, neither of those offenses is very good. So that's not really anything to write home about. But as I said on the Red Sox show, you, I mean, regardless of who you're playing, you have good starts against major league teams then that's going to help your confidence, and confidence is everything when you're a Major League Baseball player, I think especially a starting pitcher. Um, one down takeaway <clears throat> is uh, Tanner Houck. The Yankees taking out another Red Sox starting pitcher with a line drive. Uh, it happened last year. Knocked it Pretty much it put Sale away uh, for the year last year, uh, right before the All-Star break, I think it was. Uh, and now Friday night, Tanner Houck, you know, dealing pretty well uh, in the fifth inning, had only given up one run, takes a line drive off the face from the longest tenured member of the New York Yankees, uh, Kyle Higashioka, the home run stroker. Uh, takes off takes off a piece of uh, Houck's cheek, and it turns out he's got a facial... It's first reported he's got a facial contusion. First off, great news that he's that he's okay, that he didn't get his orbital, orbital bone smashed, his jaw smashed. 
he doesn't didn't suffer any really horrible critical injury but he does have a facial fracture and that's going to put him on the injured list uh indefinitely so it, it just feels like more proof that the red sox are a snake bit team i said this last year i think i said this in 2021 uh in uh late July, right before Kyle Schwarber came back, that it felt like they can't catch a break. You know, even after Sale went down, the Red Sox starting pitching, pitchers were looking good. They, you know, they looked like they were, the rotation was resolving itself. And then Hauk is one of those guys that was really doing better. He was getting lo- going longer in games. He wasn't getting, um, you know, knocked around in his second, third times through the lineup. And then he gets hit in the face. Who knows how long he's going to be out with that. Um, what are your thoughts? One thing that confused me is you go on the IL with a facial fracture. Is that, how long should that take to come back from? Because, correct me if I'm wrong, you could probably pitch with a facial fracture because, you know, it's not a shoulder, it's not a leg, it's not, you don't need the bone in your face to help you pitch. And you're not straining it as you're pitching. So if you have a facial fracture, I would think you could pitch with it and you'd be perfectly fine unless you take yet another line drive to the face. What are your thoughts on that? I think that would be the fear. Like, just teams not... Why why would you put someone, like, back out there until they're fully healed? Like, God forbid it happened a second time. Um, I don't know. It's Maybe it's just... it's a. It's a comfort thing. You know, you're going to be probably in pain going out there. Maybe they've got him on pain medication. Like, you know, like, look, man, you're taking painkillers for a little while until the swelling goes down, until the pain goes down. Um, So that would decrease his reaction time. You couldn't send a pitcher out there that wasn't, like, fully ready to react. You know, obviously, like, I mean, he was – he was Hulk is a great athlete. You know he's out there and just not having the time to react in that moment. Like you would never want to send him out there in any kind of impaired state. That's kind of my initial thoughts. And like, look, I know the Undertaker went out in there and wrestled with like a broken orbital bone, but that's the Undertaker, mm-hmm. and Tanner Hulk is not the Undertaker. And he had a mask. He had a mask on his face. So I think you put that Phantom of the Opera mask on Tanner Hulk's face, so you cover up that broken up side maybe maybe uh tattoo a teardrop underneath the eye just uh oh in red in red like a like a war paint thing like uh to kind of intimidate the other side like you can't right, yeah you'd want that fe- red Sox colored <clears throat> face mask <laughs> yeah and like um i don't know every time he strikes somebody out he screams out higashioka because he wants his revenge against him next time he plays the Yankees. Um, uh, another takeaway I had, Justin Turner is on fire. And he didn't, <clears throat> he had another RBI single in the first game of the doubleheader today. I don't think he did anything in game two. But Friday, he he pretty much, he stood he knocked Domingo Herman down stood on his chest and did a double bicep pose uh essentially uh just humiliated Domingo Herman all by himself were you surprised at uh now Turner has been stroking it pretty well for about for about a week uh he's he's been the 
during the lat this latest stretch of the Red Sox offense being bad, the the end of that. I'm hoping it's the end of that. You know, the later, the most recent part of this stretch where the offense has been down, he's been the one guy on the offense that has been consistently getting hits, has knocked a few home runs, driving in runs. Uh, were you surprised at all to see him just make Domingo Herman uh, his his little son on Friday? I mean, look, I don't want to kill Domingo Herman because there were a lot of fly ball outs that got not bounced. You don't have to kill wall. Domingo Herman. Justin Turner already did that. He did that two days ago. And and look, you know, like as far as Justin Turner is concerned, I figured he'd have be okay for he'd be at least good for a while. If he's still hitting like this in September, then I'll be surprised because I don't think he's going to be playing in September. If he is, he's going to be too broken down to make a difference. So yeah, I expect Justin Turner to be a pretty good first half player. Uh, but really, I want to see what he's going to be in the second half before I make any judgments. And I just want to point out, like you who always complain about the Yankees' short porch, it's not a disadvantage when it plays the same for everybody. I saw Jake Bowers and Willie Calhoun this weekend both mis- misplay balls off the wall that led to an extra base, that led to extra runs. Like, you got to be kidding me. Like you, How can you say the short porch is the... Uh, is unfair or an advantage when you're going, you have opposite teams going in there and have outfielders misplaying balls off that wall. Like, not, it's not fair at all. Well, they have every opportunity to take extra fielding practice before the game, take some balls off the wall. Most most outfielders do that when they come to visit Fenway Park for the first time. Um, so I don't know, but it's anyway, not the same. But, a couple an hour of fielding balls off the wall is not the same as playing every single. Le- you're playing being out there eighty one games a season with your left fielders. Well, if the players have that negative mindset, that same negative mindset that you have, then yeah, it's not all the all the extra uh, defensive practice in the world isn't going to help when you have that negative mindset. You got to rise above. Uh, to close it out with Turner though, two seventy seven average so far. 10 home runs, 37 RBIs, 799 OPS, 799 OPS. So, uh, I, I mean, I wasn't really expecting that much from him at this point of the season. He's on pace uh, to have over 20 home runs. I mean, there's, what, three weeks left until the All-Star break? Maybe four? Uh, so, yeah, he's on pace yeah, for Yeah, like July 9th, I think, is the Yankees' last game before the All-Star break. Okay. Yeah, he's on pace for over 20 home runs, so I didn't think he had that left in him. And who knows if he does because he's playing more first. He's going to be playing more first base moving on. That's going to take more uh, of a toll on his body than DHing every day. Well, DHing, you know, 75, 80% of the time, whatever was the original plan uh, this season uh, coming in. So great to see Justin Turner pitching in when nobody else on the offense was. And now, this weekend, it seems like uh, the a couple more guys have uh, started to step up, including, I'll just touch on this really quick, Tristan Casas, who's, I mean, this may sound like faint praise until you put it into the context of his season. Tristan Casas is now hitting 210. Two, his average is up to 210. It was 150 at the end of April, and he's been just steadily 
improving, improving. He hasn't been on. He hasn't gone on a hot streak. Hasn't been on a tear at any point this season. Just slowly getting a couple hits here and there. And his average is up to two ten. His OPS is up to seven twelve. He's got twenty two RBI. I don't know if this is updated after today because he he had the big two run double in the seventh inning. I think that put this game away. It was two to one Red Sox. Didn't look like the Yankees were going to score another run. Then after Casas' bases loaded, ground rule double, made it 4-1. to one. Looked like the Yankees were just ready to get on the bus and head back home. Um, so great to see that from Tristan Casas. Um, the Yankees... Um, I, I, I want I want you to touch a little touch a little bit more on Herman. You said you don't you're not gonna kill Domingo Herman. I feel like he's completely unreliable. I, I gotta think every Yankee fan in the world thought he was completely unreliable coming into this season just because of the issues he's had in the past. Um, I mean more off field mental issues that could translate into poor performance, but uh, what because. He'd been having a very good season up until Friday. I didn't think he was capable. And the way the Red Sox offense was going, I was never expecting that they would drop whatever they got, eight, ten runs off of him, whatever, uh, Friday night. Uh, did you see anything? Did they, in the, any of the post-game shows on Yes or anything like that, did you hear anything about, like, uh, anything that looked particularly off with Herman uh, Friday night? It's, I think it's just typical Domingo Herman. When he's on, he's on. And when he's off, it's ugly. And it was just one of those nights where he went out and he didn't have it and he just got absolutely shelled. Uh, we've seen Domingo Herman get lit up for, you know, six or seven runs in two or three innings before. It's nothing new. Um, so with Herman, you just kind of hope he settles back down and it's not a long-term thing you hope for his next start to be pretty good again and kind of rebuild his confidence because he is one of those guys where like when it skids with him it seems like it gets out of control fast and like i don't you know like i don't like because of the way you worded this i don't want i'm talking completely different because luke wanted to talk about his mental issues to take shots at him for things he got in trouble with the past I want to talk, and I'm not, so when I say this, I, everybody knows what Luke meant. When I say this, I'm talking about something completely different. I'm saying his mental issues are that he does get, his confidence seems to get rattled quick, and he can just lose it. And when he loses it, he's bad for four or five starts. You send him back to the bullpen. But if he can bounce back quick, which we've seen happen as well, then he's a guy you can kind of rely on. But, again, he's nothing more than your fourth or fifth starter, and he's not a guy... If Domingo Herman's starting games for us in the postseason, Yankees are in trouble. Really? So despite what had... I was under the impression he was having a, a pretty good season all he has in been. all. Yeah, he has. But you're not... You don't want to see him starting in the postseason. For that exact reason, because he just gets... He can get... Li uh, you can't... Re like you said, he's not reliable. He's good, but he's not reliable. And I, he, there's a guy where every night when he goes out, you're holding your breath. If he next time he faces the Red Sox, you're gonna be like, oh, we're gonna, you know, you're gonna be feeling like, oh, we can get to him. And I'm gonna be sitting there like, oh, what Domingo Herman are we getting? And if that's what you have to go into with every start with this guy, I mean, especially his next start, especially his next start is gonna be critical. Is like, is this gonna be really bad? Because if it is, then we're in trouble. Or can he? 
find the strength, mental strength to bounce back, which sometimes happens and sometimes doesn't. So it's not that I think, yeah, he has had a good season. I just don't trust him. So with – you said it could be until after the All-Star break when Aaron Judge returns. Now, you know, we know Yankees don't say a damn thing about their injured players. But is that still the way it's being – it's being communicated. It's like, oh, he might be back any day now, but it could be a few weeks. Is it like the same thing as Carlos Rodon, or is there something more tangible said recently? There is no timetable for Aaron Judge, and the after the All-Star break thing is just speculation because we haven't heard anything now, and knowing how the Yankees take things very slow, um, the fact that we haven't heard anything, you just the closer you get to the All-Star break, the more it looks like, well... It's not happening until after the All-Star break because they don't put timetables on these things. Redone, for Carlos Redone, just a quick note, he is starting a rehab assignment. So we'll see how this goes. <laughs> Fingers crossed. It goes well, but I'm not getting my hopes up. Uh, but back to Aaron Judge, I just think the Yankees are going to be the Yankees, and their whole mindset is, we're, well, we're not playing for May. We're not playing for June. We're playing for September and October, uh, specifically October. So we want everyone healthy in October. But the problem is right now and how good this AL East is, uh, you can't just assume you're getting to October. So if Aaron Judge isn't back before the All-Star break, the Yankees season could be over before the All-Star break. And, uh, you know, they, you know, like you said, the last place Red Sox are only like two games behind the Yankees in the loss column. So this could go bad for the Yankees quick. Yeah, two games. So two games. Uh, yeah, uh, the longer Aaron Judge is out, the worse it is. And there's an argument for keeping him out and playing it safe, but there's also the argument for kind of like like get back in play as soon as you can because the you Garrett Cole isn't getting any younger. You're not getting any younger. Stanton isn't getting any younger. Like this team is needs to win now and if if this is a lost season like that one's really gonna hurt so with no timetable on judge i'm told that there is a pretty uh, the timetable for harrison bader is pretty soon the thing is i think yankee fans could be fooling themselves into thinking that Harrison Bader coming back is going to be some kind of huge jolt to the offense. Uh, a career 245 or whatever hitter coming into this season. Oh, God, he, I, 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 look, hey, look, last week, last week I had to listen to a rivalry show with you and Joey where you spent about 10 minutes talking about how Kike Hernandez uh, – is a is a total fraud, and then about an hour after that show wrapped up, Kike Hernandez uh, hit the game winning single to beat your Yankees and uh, and uh, cost your Yankees the series. So I did want to get that in there. Don't think I didn't put the uh, put two and two together there. Um, but right, so with Harrison Bader, I see what you're trying to do here. Harrison Bader is a better player with the Yankees than he ever was with the Cardinals. Uh, he is kind of He's a spark plug with New York. He loves playing for the Yankees. And when how much did you see him play with the Cardinals? What? 
How much did you see? Yeah, him I never play saw Blaine Cardinals. Exactly. That's where those bad numbers come from because you're pulling lifetime numbers. I'm telling you, for what I've seen with him on the Yankees, he makes a difference in that lineup. The problem is, it's only going to be for about 40 or 50 games before he's back on the IL. So, yes, I'm excited for Harrison Bader to come back because I do think he adds something. He adds a jolt to that lineup, whatever it is. And maybe it's his personality, too that plays into it as well. But Harrison Bader adds something to that lineup. And, uh, you know, if you're going to call Kike Hernandez a leader, then Harrison Bader has to be a leader because he definitely makes a difference when he's on the field. Um, but it's not, it doesn't always have to be, like, I, 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 I don't know where I was going with that one. But the point is, like, he makes a difference when he's on the team. It's just not going to be for a long term before he's back on the IL. I think you're on mute. Whoops. I was just saying, Bader, last year as a Yankee, played 14 games, 217 average, 245 OBP, 283 slugging, 528 OPS. You know, did well in the playoffs. He was the only Yankee who, Yankee who hit at all in the playoffs, but he had 10 hits in 14 games last year. So I think he did a little bit better with the Cardinals. This year, 267, 295 so on base percentage. So you say he's a 240 hitter, and now there you go, 267 in the games he's played. And I told you he's better with the Yankees. In 26 games. <laughs> right, exactly. So. He's not going to be for long. But in that time that he's on the field, he's better than he was with the Cardinals. Okay. Are you expecting a big jolt to the offense when he comes back? I think, yeah, I think they'll start scoring some more runs. I think they'll hopefully at least play 500 ball, hopefully a game or two over 500 ball until Aaron Judge gets back. And just you have to hope Harrison Bader can manage to stay in the lineup until Aaron Judge gets back. And, you know, um, but, you know, that, that, that waits to be seen. I'm not, in, I'm not expecting anything out of Bader. He can get hurt his first game back for all I know. Um, and, uh, by the way, Kike Hernandez, uh, had an RBI double in game two today as well. So, um, yeah, uh, responding... younger, better than Kike Hernandez and a better leader than Kike Hernandez. Well, look, you and Joey decided, Joey decided Kike Hernandez sucked for half, he, he even sucked for half of his career season in 2021 and John was more than happy to, and what I, what I didn't understand... You said you were listening to it, and you, you you that Joey backed me into a corner about Kike Hernandez, and he got me to Heim Bloom. Heim pivot. Bloom. Oh, about Heim Bloom. Heim okay. Bloom. You you admitted that Heim Bloom didn't uh, construct his roster very well, or something along those lines. Yeah, I've always said he has made mistakes. I say he made some horrible mistakes with the bullpen last year, but um, we'll. Uh, We'll we'll move on from there right now because w- while we're talking about uh, the rivalry that is um, the focus of what we do here at Bleacher Brawls, um, there's been a lot of talk on uh, on social media and I guess among fans uh, of the two teams that uh, this rivalry isn't what it once was. Uh, that it's uh, these these are two mid tier teams now, and that. This isn't the powerhouse rivalry uh, 
that John and I uh, think of it as, uh, the rivalry that we watched in our formative years, uh, where they were the two best teams in baseball, um, you know, having epic 12-round uh, slugfests um, every year back and forth, like uh, Sugar Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran. Um <clears throat> And a lot of people, we see it, uh, if you're on, if you're active on social media, we see it all the time. There's no excuse for this. Red Sox fans say, there is no excuse. The Red Sox should never have to rebuild and take a step back because they're rebuilding. There is no excuse for that. They need to be able to do both at the same time. The Yankees should be competing for a World Series every single year. There is no excuse for mediocrity. So fans are angry. Um... Because basically, uh, for about 20 years, these two teams set the bar uh, for what, how Major League Baseball teams uh, that have money uh, should operate. Uh, and a lot of fans are upset now on both sides. Uh, what are your thoughts on that, John? Do you think, you know, speaking from a, no, don't just speak from a Yankee fan perspective, just in a macro perspective regarding both teams. Do do fans of these teams have any right to say this is not okay? What is happening right now? Yes, I think it's okay to look at it and feel that these teams have fallen off. I still, I still think it's the rivalries there because these games are intense. You can feel it, the energy in the crowd. It comes across on the TV. You can't tell me these fans aren't locked in. You can't tell that us, all of us are locked in. Everyone here at Bleacher Brawls, active on the group chat, uh, which has kind of died off recently, but really active this weekend with the Yankees Red Sox playing in last weekend too. Um, this rivalry does still have juice. There's no question about it. But, yeah, they're not the two best teams in baseball anymore, and they should be there. I mean, there's no excuse for the Yankees not to be there, and I guess to an extent the Red Sox too. And that you have to blame that on management. I blame that. Obviously, I always blame Cashman for everything, and I mean, this is a perfect example. This team isn't constructed well. The Red Sox aren't constructed well. Uh, I know... Having listened to uh, making it a point to listen to your uh, the Sox episodes on that get released on Fridays that everybody should listen to and Yankee fans should listen to too because it keeps keeps you updated on your enemy. I know the plan for the Red Sox is twenty twenty four. So if you guys aren't in contention next season, like that's a big failure. And the Yankees should be in contention this season, and they're kind of not. I mean, they might not be. I guess it's not over yet, but. Uh, it's starting to get a little dark out. So, yeah, yeah, it's fair for the fans to say the rivalry, it hasn't lost its juice, but these two teams should be better, which would make the rivalry a bit more nationally important. I think is probably the best way for me. It's probably the way I look at it from a macro perspective. I feel like it's even more of a, the fact that they've both tailed off uh, the past couple years is just more of like a it's to me it speaks even more to how linked these two teams are always that they're just always gonna be there right in each other's faces and they're always gonna have to deal with each other it's not 
I mean, when was the last time? I mean, it hasn't happened. For a prolonged period of time, the Red Sox were way at the top of the league and the Yankees were at the bottom, or vice versa. I mean, the Yankees have been the more consistent team, but the Red Sox have been, you know, suck for a couple of years, load up, win a ring, and then, you know, maybe have a decent season and then suck again. So it's like the Red Sox have got far more hardware the past 20 years. The Yankees have had much more consistency. So it's like, I feel like that makes it even more of a Batman and Joker kind of uh, dynamic. Like, we're destined to do this dance forever. Like, you know, you, you take off and you make all the right decisions and your team gets you get your team back up into the uh, elite tier of the league, we're going to be right behind you. You trail back, well, we're going to trail back with you just because it's like we're each other's po- we're the neg- we're the negative to each other's positive. Uh, we can't we can't exist on one plane without you there with us. It's really fascinating uh, the way that has worked out, but I think it's just teams are built differently now. I th- I think, and I've said this to a few guys before, I've said this, I must have said this on one of the shows before, but I think it's it speaks to how teams are built now. Back when, back at the height, the height of this rivalry, the way I see it, was, I'll get into that in the next segment actually, um, but when this team, these teams were at the height of their rivalry, it was the height of the steroid era. People were juiced up, jacked to the gills. Uh, pitchers were throwing were throwing hard by those standards. We're throwing 95, 96, 97, uh, the best pitchers were. And the best hitters were all hitting 40, 45, even 50 home runs a season. You know, there would be 20 guys uh, every year hitting 35 home runs or more. Um... And now, without steroids uh, to help them recover, look, starting pitchers are throwing harder, but they're getting hurt and they're not recovering for a full year. Tommy John surgery. Hitters, it's happening to hitters too. Guys like Anthony Rendon, um, guys like, you know, uh, Manny Machado this year. What happened to him this year? He just seems to have fallen off a cliff. And I think that is, I think... Teams are signing contracts, keep getting longer, and the returns keep getting uh, proportionately not not what they should be. You know, it, disproportionately not what they should be. And teams are not the Red Sox and Yankees are not just going to go out and sign the 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 highest name out there to a seven year deal for $25 million a year because they're like, this guy has been, he's a free agent, so he's been in the, that means he's been in the league for at least six years. That means he's getting older, so his horrible injury is coming soon. <laughs> like, it, it's just, I think, it, across the board, look at all the teams that are great right now. They are building from within and, you know, making, you know, having, getting some, some good talent uh, that they can, uh, some good talent uh, on the major league team, and then adding guys strategically instead of adding more expensive guys strategically uh, to their core of cost-controlled players as opposed to just building a team through free agency. Um, Or, you know, when was the last time the Yankees um, 
just snagged somebody's best player uh, for some scraps, for some scrap prospects just because the team couldn't afford the contract anymore. I don't think that's happening anymore because it's just players' health, players' durability is not what it was. Um, what are your What are your th- thoughts on that? Do you think it's just management uh, mismanagement from front offices, or do you think there's a there's a difference um, in player durability, something akin to what I was just talking about? I think it's mismanagement in the front office because in order to, if you want to play along with that whole, we're not going to sign free agents, we're not going to give up prospects, and you know, or, or we'll add pieces when we do. Like we're going to be smart. Like you have to actually hit on these prospects, and that's something the Yankees haven't done. So while they're trying to play that game, where they're trying to be the, we're going to build from within, and then add our pieces strategically well if you're not actually building from within and you're not doing a very good job at it well then you need to pivot and figure out another way to put together a competitive team and i know the red sox have done that with theo epstein and ben charrington but i mean Bloom hasn't proven anything yet and if anything he's proven that he hasn't done a very good job with like the failure of the moogie bats you know jeter downs thing um so I think until these two teams Alex Verdugo start and Connor right, Wong, Alex Verdugo and Connor Wong are starters on the team right now. <laughs> well, Connor Wong's a starter. That's not good. Um, yes, but, yeah, this, but the point is, he whiffed on the prospect. Though you're hoping he can figure out prospects, and then he whiffed on the prospect who was the centerpiece. Like you can say Connor Wong and Alex Verdugo all day, but they weren't the centerpiece. It was Jeter Downs who was the one that was expected. What, what are you basing that on? That it was all about Jeter Downs because his name was Jeter. It's you. Verdugo was no, a 23 was you. year old like, oh, starting oh, outfielder. Oh, we're gonna just sign DJ LeMahieu for two seasons until Jeter Downs comes up here and takes over because that was around the time that LeMahieu was a free agent and you were taunting when that deal went on saying, oh, Jeter Downs, like, we'll just sign LeMahieu from you until Jeter Downs gets up here and he's ready to play. It was all Jeter Downs, Jeter Downs, and you weren't I don't even remember if I Verdugo said that. or Connor Wong. <laughs> I do. So that's why I will always hold that to Jeter Downs. But the point is, like, you actually have to be able to hit on these prospects and that's something the Yankees haven't done and that's Bloom hasn't done it yet. It's something we could at least both agree on. I think he'll never do it. You think he will do it, but he hasn't done it yet. So until you start hitting on these prospects, you have to figure out a different way to build your team. And I'm not a big fan of big long-term contracts, but if you're missing on the prospects, you're missing on the prospects, and maybe that's the only way you're actually going to compete. The Isn't one World Series that Brian Cashman actually won was when he went out and signed Sabathia, Teixeira, and then... AJ Burnett for one good season. Yeah, yeah, and he had, yeah, and he had the leftovers. He had uh, Jeter, and he had Rivera left, and he had Curtis Granderson, and you know no, he had a pretty. There. He did. He Granderson wasn't there in two thousand nine. No, he came in two thousand ten because uh, it was. Johnny Cano. They had Cano, though. were the outfielders. And then Brett Gardner came off the bench, and then Melky got hurt in that last game, and I think Gardner ended up playing. But, yeah, it was uh, center field and left field were uh, Johnny Damon and Melky Cabrera that season. Okay. And they had Cano, and they have Matsui, too? Yeah, Matsui was the DH at that point. 
Yeah, and he was was he the MVP of the World Series? Yeah, he had okay. a, he had an awesome World Series. He had like over six hundred that World Series. <clears throat> yeah. Um. <clears throat> I mean, anyway, I think yes, and like I've said it a billion times, I'll say it again here really quick. I don't think Red Sox fans fans should be angry that their team's not elite because they're trying to build a sustained winner that can last several years, and that's following a proven model. Look at all of the best teams in the league, and look at how they built their teams. The Dodgers, the Astros, the Braves, the Rays. Anybody, any other Red Sox fan I hear who says, we don't want to be Tampa North, you're an idiot. If you don't want to be Tampa North, you are a moron. I would like nothing more than to be Tampa anything right now. Tampa is by far and away the best team in the major leagues right now. But they haven't won anything yet. That's the point. They haven't gotten over the hump. They haven't been able to put together a team that got over the hump. So, like, the Braves were a team that got over the hump. And <coughs> the Dodgers don't count because that was 2020. And who are some of the other? The Astros are cheaters, so that doesn't count. <laughs> who won in 2021? 2021 was the Braves. And then, wait, who was last year? Oh, the, cheaters, the Astros. So, yeah, the cheaters. So really, they're not <laughs> only the Braves is the team has actually successfully pulled this so off. He's just discounted all of them. None of them count. Yeah, um, no, the Nationals. The Nationals. The year before, the Nationals. Strasburg and Corbin. Um, well, Corbin was a free agent. Scherzer was a free agent. But yeah, I guess they built from the rest of those guys. Soto. Uh, yeah, Rendon, right? Rendon was home. Yeah, Rendon came up with them. I'm almost positive. So, but so, all right, well, there you go. I mean, that's the way you win these days. I'm. For, I mean, I Tampa but hasn't. The Nationals won without their uh, without Bryce Harper though. Bryce, they're at the time best player left, and that that they homegrown best player left, and then that's how they won after he left, which is right. Kind of yeah, the one guy left. But um. I, I think, you know, and Tampa hasn't won a World Series, and that could be on the team construction, but I think at some point you got to put it on the players, and it's not just, and it very well could be, I think at some point you got to say the players, the team was good enough, the players didn't rise to the occasion, and which I do think those are two different things. You can have a good enough team that just doesn't close the deal. I think that about the Dodgers. The Dodgers only won in 2020, but do you really think... Those other years um, that, uh, what's his name? The Dodgers guy. Whatever his Kershaw. name is. You, you, what? Well, I don't know which Dodgers guy the Dodgers, The about. Dodgers GM. I can't remember his name right now. But um, you really think he didn't put together a good enough team to win any of those years? Or you think the, he was, there was a good enough team, but the players just didn't get it done? Or that the Astros just cheated. And... Potentially moving, the Red Sox moving, too. <laughs> moving along. I, I will say, I will, so yeah, I don't think Red Sox fans should be angry. I think Yankee fans should be angry because the Yankees can't commit one way or another. They're half in, half out. They're not looking to buy a championship, and they're not looking to build from within. They want to they wanna focus they on They are water. looking to build from within. They're just failing at it. Like they're trying to do that. They are if just they were trying failing, to do that, they wouldn't the be trading away so many so many prospects. Though they continue to deal prospects for to get players from outside, and they're continuing to bring try to bring people up too that fail. Look how many failed Yankees have come up through the system within the past few years. Greg yeah. Bird, Gary Sanchez, Glaber Torres is 
on the verge now. Clint Frazier. Clint they Frazier. destroyed Miguel Duhar, Luis Severino never lived up to his potential. Um, I'm forgetting another pitcher in there. Your buddy Phil Hughes was a, going back a little farther. Was another guy that was supposed to be a star that they hung on to that they couldn't develop. So it's just an organizational thing. They've been trying for years to be Tampa. They want to be Tampa North. But they just are terrible at it, and they fail and misjudge their prospects again and again. And I think a big reason of that could be that they won't risk making their fans angry and step back and just say, we're going to take a couple years, we're just going to focus on stockpiling assets and, you know, sign a couple players to short-term contracts, do the best we can on the field for these couple years, and then come back next season with a more stocked farm system where maybe a couple good players come up, um, and after a couple more drafts, we have enough assets that we can trade pieces away to get major league uh, proven, you know, established players on the team. But that takes a lot of depth in the minor league system. That obviously takes a while. Bloom is on year four. He still isn't there yet. Derek keeps saying 2024 is the target year that he thinks the Red Sox organization is aiming to really start competing. I was hoping it would start this year. The last month or so, my idea my idea of things hasn't looked <laughs> looked like it's going to work out that way. Hoping things have started to turn around. I just hope they can just keep on playing the Yankees and just keep stomping on their throats because what the Red Sox need is a whole lot of games against the New York Yankees right now. Um yeah, so, you heard it though. Heimbloom's secret plan should be unveiled in 2024. Direct wor- Luke, words directly from Luke's mouth. Kind of no, I said it. I, Joey and Derek. I said it should be 2023. <laughs> Derek said it's 2024. Um, but I am behind it because I know the intention of what he is trying to do, and I support that fully. So let's throw it back a little bit. Hold on, let me get a sip of water here. I'm still getting over my cruise virus. Um, yeah, oh, that's so, right, your cruise that you magically booked in five days to duck having to answer for yourself or jinxing <laughs> the Celtics. <laughs> the, um, it's awesome, by the way. Anybody who didn't hear my endorsement for it Thursday, if you have the means and the time to do it, book an Alaskan cruise, please. Even so if you're let's just uh, on the run. <laughs> just you might come back sick uh, afterwards. Just it's all right. Just a little cold. You can deal with it. Um, let's do a little throwback segment here. Um, we're talking about the state of the rivalry, the history of the rivalry, where the rivalry is, where the rivalry should be. Um, let's talk about the other team a little bit. <clears throat> I want uh, each of us are going to pick a player from the other team. So I'm going to pick a Yankee, and John's going to pick a Red Sox. We're going to start with the player on the other team that we hated the most. Now, I'm talking about of our entire lifetimes watching, witnessing this rivalry. We're going to name the player that we hated most from the other team and why. And after that, we're going to name the player that we respected the most. So we might hate that player too, but just begrudgingly just can't help but... Uh, appreciate how good they were and, you know, hating them from a place of genuine appreciation for their talents. So, John, we'll start with you. Give me your most hated Red Sox 
uh, of your the most hated Red Sox player. I think it's Red Sox. I think the singular of Red Sox is Red Sox. But I often hear people say Red Sox. But anyway, who is which one do you did you hate the most? Have you hated the most in your lifetime? I would like to point out everyone's probably heard me say Red Sox. Uh, multiple times, just because I know it's wrong and I'm being disrespectful. I think it's singular should be Red Sox, but my of the course. most hated it Red is. Sox player, the most hated Red Sox player of all time for me is unquestionably Kurt Schilling, and I hated that guy. He's a big mouth jackass. He was the reason that the Red Sox, one of the reasons the Red Sox eventually did get over that hump. He killed the Yankees with the Red Sox with that ketchup stain sock like come on give me a break the stain never changed in size the entire game so if you're bleeding through the sock and it never changed in size or you could have just changed your sock i mean i don't know i just i hated that guy it was all for show it was all about him he's turned out to be a horrible human being too just absolutely horrible person um you can look that up more i'm not gonna slander the guy because i don't need to get sued because he seems like the type of guy that would sue me also because he needs money because i think he went broke over his video game company i just think kurt Schilling's a piece of trash he was disrespectful towards the yankees when he was in arizona uh he was even worse with the red Sox. and there are other guys that i disliked and most of the people that ever played for the red Sox. but the yankees were pedro martinez's daddy for a while there um, there were other players that, you know, whatever, but Kurt Schilling was just the absolute worst scumbag for a person, scumbag for a just human being, uh, makes me sick that I'm a human being and he's considered a human being as well. There should be a new category for him. Just terrible, terrible, terrible person. Can't say enough bad things about him and he would deserve every single one. The views of John are not necessarily the views of Bleacher Brawls. Um, uh, he's obviously a guy of questionable character. I'm talking about John now, not Kurt Schilling. But yes, <laughs> Schilling as well. <laughs> obviously of questionable character. Um, he's uh, what you would call a moon bat, <clears throat> I think. Um, uh, he's just, he's never met a microphone. He didn't want to inhale. Uh, he's never... He has never seen a party that he didn't want to be the the center the the center of. He's never seen a room that he didn't want to have every eye in that room be exclusively on him. It's one of the things that made him one of the greatest big game pitchers of all. And let's be honest though, you you had hatred for Kurt Schilling long before he was on the Red Sox. You hated Kurt Schilling yeah. after 2001, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, fully. I already hated him, and then everything that happened afterwards made it worse. And I can't separate it. Like, I mean, I, I know he played for Arizona, but I feel like it was like he was on loan from the Red Sox to Arizona. Like, I, I don't know. I just, everything <laughs> he's done is associated with the Red Sox. And y'all drafted him, too, and traded him to the uh, Orioles, if I'm correct, right? Like, early in his career. Yeah, yeah he was here first. I mean, he wasn't in Boston. Uh, but, uh, yeah, he was with the organization. And uh, it's – I've never – he's never been one of those players where I've been – I've wanted to defend him. You know, like Tom Brady had the deflate gate thing and everything. And I was like, you couldn't tell me a damn thing about deflated footballs. I would 
jump across the table and grab you by the throat if you tried to do that in person. But with Kurt Schilling, everything that happened to him with him afterwards, just like, yeah, that's, you know, that was dumb. And, like, it, you know, just every single thing he ever said, I feel like, was the wrong thing to say. Um, so can't blame you on that. I feel like that's a, a solid uh, selection. And my hated Yank, most hated Yankee, it was between two. And I'm sure if I gave you two guesses, uh, my pick would be the your first guess and... Your second pick would be my second guess. Um, I would my second pick. Um, but yeah, I went with A Rod. Um, he almost came to Boston. Uh, he was the best player in the game at the time. He wanted to come to Boston, and then when the deal fell through, the deal fell through because Major League Baseball wouldn't. Let, he was willing to take money off of his salary to come to Boston and win a championship with Manny Ramirez and Pedro Martinez and David Ortiz and etc and so forth and the the union wouldn't let him do it not major league baseball wouldn't let him the union wouldn't let him do it um so he ended up going to new york it was steinbrenner said oh he's he's going to boston no we'll get him uh, and so they took him the yankees took him and i think that deal i was talking about this earlier in the show i feel like alex rodriguez going being traded by the rangers to the, from the Rangers to the Yankees, I think that is the apex. That is the high point of this of the Red Sox-Yankees rivalry of all time. I think that is the most heated it ever got that day. And I was with you. I was with you in college. Uh, we were in the same room, I think, when news of that broke. Uh, that was the most I ever hated the Yankees. Uh, that was the most I ever felt like we would never, the Red Sox would never overcome the Yankees. I felt like the Red Sox would be second place to the Yankees for the next five years on the strength of that acquisition. And so, and it just, you know, who knows how much that, that ended up galvanizing the fan base. I think because the Yankees got A-Rod, uh, Fenway Park was that much more hostile in 2004, probably helped the Red Sox to a couple more wins uh, a little bit just you know got the the crowd a little more amped up from game to, to game but um, you know the funny thing is he's my most hated Yankee and the Yankees never beat the Red Sox with A-Rod really like in they never beat them in a playoff series they never uh, they won one World Series with him um, after you know when the Red Sox weren't really in contention that year but I just you know, you would think I would pick somebody from the Yankees' glory years rather than someone like A-Rod that never really beat the Red Sox at the heat of the rivalry. But uh, he's just everything about him. Everything about the guy is unlikable uh, and was even more so when he was a player. So that's my pick. Who would, who, would, who would you have guessed? I told you if you had two guesses, you'd pick my two, you know, my one and my two. But who would you guess as my second? Well, let's put it this way. You made a very good case for A-Rod that I can't really argue, but I'm still offended that you didn't pick Derek Jeter as your most hated like, <laughs> of all time. Like, I feel offended that it wasn't Derek Jeter. So I would have guessed Jeter won A-Rod too. <laughs> uh, no, it's not actually. Okay, you didn't guess uh, my number two. My number two is Clemens. <laughs> he oh, well, he wouldn't get... Sense, 
wouldn't get his ass in shape until after he left Boston. <laughs> you know, pumped up his resume in Toronto for a year or two, and then went to New York to win a World Series, um, and then came back on loan a couple times, like on, uh, you know, almost like uh, the Yankees, got, you know, midseason, the Yankees, like, like going to Home Depot to pick up a couple of workers in the in the uh, in the parking lot, just hoping hoping to get picked up for uh, day labor. Like, oh, let's go, just let's just go grab Clemens. Uh, he would have been my number two. Um, but anyway, uh, so give me your most respected the the Red Sox player that you respected the most. Um, well, let's put it this way. I think David Ortiz is going to go down in history as basically the Dominican Babe Ruth. And over the next 20 to 30 <laughs> years, uh, he's really going to become legendary in the sport as we get more players from the Caribbean. Not just Dominican, but also like the surrounding areas. I think David Ortiz is like, the godfather to a lot of these players. And as baseball evolves, like David Ortiz is going to become a very legendary figure. However, he did steroids, so I can't respect that. I respect <laughs> Jason Veritek the most. He's my most respected Red Sox uh, of all time. Veritek, you won. I don't know if I've ever seen another catcher handle a pitching staff better than Jason Veritek. He was just, I, I know he didn't always put up the best numbers, but, God, he was clutch against the Yankees. Uh, I mean, he must have batted, you know, 360 lifetime against the Yankees with, you know, 35 home runs, it felt like. Just switch hitting catcher um, that was the, really was, in my opinion at the time, the best catcher in baseball. It's such a defensive position, and there's so much more to it as far as leadership is concerned, as far as, like you said, handling a pitching staff. Uh, every single pitcher that came to the Red Sox during the stretch of um, Jason Veritek as that catcher, you saw the best out of that pitcher. And a lot of times when those guys left, they never really were as good as they were without Jason Veritek or with Jason Veritek. However, I, I needed to word that. So from that perspective, is obviously a huge fan of like pitching and having, if anyone ever listened to the interview with uh, my, I did with my dad talking about our family history of the game. There's a reason why like I take kind of take a, a view of the game from the catcher's perspective. So all that put together as much as I wanted to dislike Jason Veritek, I respect him more than anybody that's ever put on that Red Sox uniform. Caught four no-hitters. Hideo Nomo, Derek Lowe, uh, John Lester, and Clay Buckholz. Only catcher to ever catch four no-hitters. I don't think anybody else has caught three. Um, but uh, a good pick. Um, that's a, He's kind of like the Jeter for the Red Sox, like, he's that one guy that, I mean, he never really said anything, he never showboated or anything, I mean, he popped A-Rod in the mouth one time, but most Yankee fans didn't like A-Rod either, so mo most of them didn't. A-Rod started it, so, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I, it's, like, it's so hard to defend A-Rod, like, you know, all those other Yankees Red Sox brawls, you could defend the Yankees, and then A-Rod goes and does his stuff, and like, I, I can't, how do you defend that? We all watch what happened, like, it's an embarrassment. <laughs> The consummate, quiet professional. Um, and my most respected Yankee um, is, uh, I've made no secret about this, uh, Gary Sheffield was the Yankee that I feared the, I've feared the most. He was only with the Yankees for a few years, but they were the peak... They, they were the peak years where I was like, you know, we need to beat the Yankees 
every time we played, every game against them felt must win. And he was in the middle of the lineup, and he was the guy that I was like, don't let him beat beat you. You know, let Giambi beat you. Let Jeter beat you. Let Ber- Bernie Williams was still there then. Uh, yeah, of course Bernie yeah, Williams is still there. Like let Bernie Williams. Yeah, yeah. Let let Jorge Posada beat you. You know, pitch around Sheffield. Um, his power, you know, so ability to hit home runs, ability to hit balls in the gaps, but his ability to hit missiles all over the field just made me fear him like the plague. Um, you know, he was the one Yankee that I would have most loved to see play for the Red Sox, at least at some point. Um, and he had a cannon for an arm out in right field, and he was just, he played with anger and a swagger and with a don't even look at me funny. <laughs> One time he, um, I think he was it, he was going for a ball in the right field corner at Fenway, and I think a fan poured a beer on him, and he no, uppercutted him, like swung, like oh, straight up tried to punch him, uppercutted him. Oh, was that what it was? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hit him. And I think Sheffield picked up the ball before he even threw the ball, shoved the fan, and then threw the ball back to the infield so and then the turned way, around and got in the fan's face. He picked up the face. ball all in one motion. He picked up the ball, threw the ball, and in like his like follow-through, he spun around and swung at the fan with both of his hands like that. And he said it looked weird, but he was just trying to do his best to ensure that he hit him. So I'm sorry, I moved away from the microphone. No, Sheffield picked up... I remember that to this day because Gary Sheffield is one of my all-time favorite Yankees. Picks up the ball throws it, like, feels the ball, throws it, and in the follow-through, swings around with two hands and just tries to clock the guy as hard as he possibly can. But, yes, Gary Sheffield was the man. And, um, yeah, you'll hear more about that from me soon. Check out my Thursday column coming up. Oh, sweet. Um, well, yeah. Good timing. Uh, <laughs> stage five heart attack every time Gary Sheffield stepped up uh, against the Red Sox. Um, you could not strike th- him out. You could not strike him out. Anybody else in that lineup would strike out easily 150 times a season. Gary Sheffield would strike out like 35 times a season. He was everything you could ask for as a hitter. And like the intensity of Paul O'Neill. The Yankee fans love Paul O'Neill for his intensity. Gary Sheffield was Paul O'Neill, like just like in the you know the next Paul O'Neill basically. Yeah, you couldn't get him to chase a pitch out of the strike zone, and he didn't want to throw him anything over the middle because you knew he'd tattoo it somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a small part of me almost misses me seeing him play for the Yankees because he brought that big game atmosphere and that in- that anxiety that comes with those really intense matchups. But, um, but yeah, by far and away. My, but, yes, I am glad I don't have to face. I... I'd rather face a lineup full of Giancarlo Stantons um, and Aaron Judges than face a lineup with one Gary Sheffield in the middle of it. Um, so uh, I think that's where we're going to wrap it up uh, for the day um, on a day where the Red Sox s- completed a sweep of the New York Yankees. Um, any uh, parting thoughts, John? Yeah, I think I could face a lineup full of Giancarlo Stantons right now and do perfectly fine. I think his his batting average is below is lower than Tristan Casas's right now, um, and he has less home runs. I'm pretty sure. I think he only has six home runs. <laughs> I mean, he hasn't well, I played. I mean, he's played in a lot less games than Tristan Casas of the last the numbers, The numbers don't lie. Um, but uh, so uh, <laughs> so we're gonna call it a uh, a night for now. 
Um, so thanks for tuning in. Make sure to check out bleacherbrawls.com every day, Monday through Friday, for a new column. Uh, check out our rivalry shows uh, every that drop every Monday. Our stripes shows they drop every Wednesday. Our socks shows they drop every Friday on Apple, Spotify, and a uh, hundred other places that I can't even remember right now. But um, thanks for listening. Uh, this has been the the Godfathers, the founding fathers of Bleacher Brawls on this Father's Day. Um, uh, John, uh, for John, I'm Luke. Uh, and uh, thanks for listening to us. Happy Father's Day to everybody, and uh, we'll catch you next time. Godfather's works too. Jo- Don John and Don Luke. <laughs>